0: with a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson.
1: Welcome again to the Dig Deep The Mining podcast. And today we have another great guest, Lester Kemp, who is involved in a few mining companies who are exploring and developing deposits around various parts of the world, which if we can go into detail later in this podcast. I'm really keen on understanding Lester's journey, as it seems he has an entrepreneur's mindset, being involved in many startups, and even having his own YouTube channel. So let's get straight into this and find out about Lester's journey and how he got into mining. Hi, Lester. Hi, Ron. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Good. Thanks for obviously agreeing to do this podcast. My pleasure. And I'm uh, intrigued to find out how your career developed. So, um, first of all, what attracted you to uh, the mining industry?
2: Well, I lived overseas uh, most of my life. Uh, my parents, or well, my father, was a chartered engineer uh, with Unilever. And he got sent overseas for most of his career. So, where we, where he went, we went. Yeah. Um, I spent my first two years in Trinidad, and four years in Mexico, and then six years in Brazil, and six years in Kenya. And it was when I was in Brazil that... At the end of each month when my father was paid, my mum would drag him out to a jewellery shop close by and she'd have rings made up and I was a young child at the time and I got pushed to the other room where the gentleman had a big rock collection. Right, okay. So that sparked my interest and each time my parents visited, um, I had to choose a specimen of rock for my own collection that I started. So that really got me fired up. Always wanted to be a geologist. Yeah. Uh, ever since
1: yeah that's a a different story to I hear from most people Um, but yeah that's obviously I suppose you're inquisitive as to where these rocks come from um, and hence obviously you found mining
2: yes I I, I went from Brazil to Kenya I was at school there from uh, 1978 to 1984 so I did my O levels and A levels there and it was quite a wild time uh, we spent a lot of time in the bush, um, me and my friends, and I I realized I wanted to do something that was outside. I didn't yeah. really fancy doing an office job. So I thought, yeah, I really, really want to become a geologist.
1: Yeah. So, so where did you uh, study? I
2: studied at Portsmouth. It okay, was a yeah. polytechnic in those days. I was there from 1986 to 1989. And when I finished there, I went on to the Royal School of Mines, Imperial College, yeah. and I did a master's in mineral exploration yeah and uh, that was part sponsored by Rio Tinto okay I came out of there and then I worked for a company called Geoscience Limited they have an office in Ascot and they've also still got an office in Falmouth, where they're busy doing the geothermal project in, in Cornwall and at that time we were looking at uh, a lot of our work was from UK Nirex looking at the next or the, or the first nuclear repository uh, for nuclear waste in the UK so, making studies around Sellerfield and Dune Rain. Um, so, I did that for about two years or so and decided I'd had enough. Went back to the Royal School of on the notice noticed there was uh, a sign for a project geologist running a gold exploration camp in Guyana, in uh-huh. South America. So, I rang them that evening and got the job that night and literally left two days later. That certainly doesn't happen now, I don't think. No, it was, it was quite, quite challenging because I, I arrived about 3 o'clock in the morning in Georgetown. I was met by the chief geologist at that time, and he took me back to the house, which also doubled up as an office. And um, I woke up about 8 o'clock the next morning, had breakfast. He, he came down and he said, right, I'm off back to Canada. I've got three weeks' holiday. Uh, let me show you a map. This is where our concession is. This is where I'd like you to set up a camp. I want you to recruit um, workers. I want you to buy boats, generators, camp material, and in three weeks' time, when I come back, I want to see line cutting operations and sampling taking place. <laughs>
1: so find the deep end properly then. Yeah, I was quite tempted to t- catch the next plane next home. <laughs> I can imagine <laughs> but what a challenge it was a great what, challenge yeah. yes um, and someone to give you that opportunity and throw you in at that deep end and, very nice. much um, I mean
2: I, I I was terrified but I had good people working for me uh, all the locals were really good I had a team of 21 Amerindians and they all knew what they had to do uh, it was just a case of setting up the camp and just, just being in charge really um, but letting them run and do what they knew best and just keeping an eye on things. Yeah. It was a fabulous time. And to be paid to, to be in the camp in the jungle in South America
1: was just yeah, amazing. And what did you do following that? I came back um, and I
2: joined a Canadian junior company uh, doing diamond exploration in Southern Africa. Uh, the company is called Rudorum Limited and they had licenses in Botswana, Namibia uh, Zimbabwe and they also had a joint venture with another Australian company on the first diamond mine in uh, Zimbabwe Okay. Um, and that was called River Ranch so I spent the next few years working for them running the exploration program in conjunction with their joint venture partner
1: Okay and what what would you say the main differences are and I suppose probably might have asked this question a bit further down the line but what would you say the main differences are between working in South America to Africa say Uh, the main I suppose main culture differences I don't actually recruit in South America but I do in Africa so I'm just curious as to what the uh, main differences are
2: yeah look I grew up in in Brazil so I, I, i had six years there Guyana was interesting It had its challenges I think you have to be quite logistical Um, Infrastructure wasn't great Uh, There was a road out of Georgetown going through a town called Linden which had an aluminium or bauxite mine Um, But I think you've got to be able to adapt and understand the local cultures You've got to you shouldn't panic You should immerse yourself into things Um, That was quite easy in South America In Africa I love Africa because, I'm, as I say, I grew up in Kenya. Uh, Africa has its challenges. It depends which country you go to. Yeah, They all have their own sort of,
1: sort of iterations. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's, Was it more isolated in Africa? Like, for instance, the mine site's more isolated as opposed to South America? It depends which country. I mean, in yeah. Zimbabwe,
2: it, it wasn't. Uh, we, we did prospect in Namibia, yep. uh, along the Fisher River Canyon and the Conquite River Valley. So that was quite remote. Um, more recently, i been involved in Eritrea yep. and we had a camp in the central part of Eritrea and that's quite remote as well. But it does have its benefits because the land is so beautiful, it's unspoiled. Um, I remember standing on a high peak with, with my friend Looking around Seeing this vast Landscape Beautiful Mystical Magical Landscape Thinking I must be The first Englishman Who stood here And what a great view And
1: what a a Pleasure Yeah And So how many years Did you spend in In Africa Um, Or did you go Backwards and forwards To a few different countries I probably spent
2: about Eight to ten years In in Africa So I've, I've been to Most countries I had a Private company That I set up I went to North Africa, so I've spent about 20 years on and off in Tunisia, yeah. looking at zinc there. That took me westwards to Algeria, so I spent a couple of visits there on behalf of myself and also uh, some clients. Um, I've been to Sierra Leone, been to Liberia several times, which is an interesting part of the world. And yeah. um, I've done mostly sort of central and southern Africa as well.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, Any favourite places? I do yeah. like to return okay yeah. also like North Africa you know and I would like to visit more countries I've Been to Sudan yeah I'd love to do Egypt yeah
1: um but yeah it depends what's Spain. yeah is it just Africa you still want to concentrate um, on or is there um, other countries around the world I'd, I'd rather sort of settle on sort of North South
2: America yeah and Western Europe I, I've been out to Russia I've worked out in Finland um in great experiences, Russia was interesting. Going up to Archangel which is the home one of the home of, of diamonds. Yeah, landing there and coming out of the airport, my contact wasn't there to meet me. And looking around, <laughs> <worst> and, <laughs> yeah, and looking around, it looked like a scene from Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Yeah. It was just the bleakest landscape with yeah. these in the distance, these massive structures belching out smoke and fire, power stations, and then. Catching a lift with a local guy into town. Bearing in mind, this is the heart of the diamond industry. It was some of the richest diamond deposits in the world there. The roads in town were abominable. <laughs>
1: More holes than sort of other parts of Africa. That's so. probably that's probably um, the reason why that is. Is probably to stop people actually driving down <laughs> <to laughs> Probably to, uh, yes. Yeah, keep yes. those people away. Exactly. And the people that in the know. Yeah. They yep. can just go bypass that.
2: And also going to the hotel for the first night and finding out that the menu for vodka was much larger than the menu for food. Right, okay.
1: <laughs> Interesting. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, um, what do you enjoy about expatriate work? Is there uh, again? I suppose um, people that may be listening that haven't had the experience of working as an expat, so working outside of their uh, country of birth. Um, what do you enjoy about expat expatting? Well, I think my first job really qualified
2: as, as being an expatriate when I run the Golden Exploration Camp in Guyana, but ever since then I've I've been lucky to be based in the UK, just going out on you know two or three weeks, maybe a month at a time. Yeah. I think for someone who's a true expatriate, you, you get to visit places that you probably would never visit before. You you meet very interesting culture, and depending on whether you're in a camp with a small number or a large number of people, you develop some really good friendships. Yeah, and and also you learn a lot um, on the hop uh, because a lot of those places don't necessarily have the best of communications, and so you have to learn as you go along. Yeah, so I think it does build up your levels of experience a lot quicker. Um, other places yeah
1: I suppose a broader range obviously you have a broad range broader range of experiences but yes. then you have a broader range of skills exactly i.e. I suppose if you're more divest, uh, less developed country um, getting supplies I yes. know take, is a completely different <laughs> logistical nightmare compared to a first world country yes. so again those challenges yes. you wouldn't experience necessarily experience the first world country but you would do in exactly. a third world country so
2: plus this battery, I think you also have to chip in and do other jobs that maybe you would necessarily have to do otherwise. Yeah.
1: So hence building your experience. Yeah. Any advice that you'll give someone that would like to go expatting but don't know what to expect? I think do your research. Uh,
2: speak to speak to friends. Uh, develop a network and, and and ask you know ask the questions. Um, if you want to do it, do it. Um, push hard for it. Uh, it may be quite daunting going away from home for a while and you miss friends and family, but you will be well looked after. Yeah. You'll enjoy yourself and
1: you'll wish you'd done it before. Provided you get picked up from the airport. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, I mentioned obviously earlier that you've got an entrepreneur's mindset. Um, I wonder what attributes you think um, you need to have to become an entrepreneur in the mining industry. I think you've got to be
2: creative. Yeah. Um, you, you've got to know what's going on in the, in, in the markets, uh, what's going on in the, in the particular field that you're interested in. Um, it's very important that, you know, if you have an idea, um, you do your research properly and then put together a pitch yeah. to try and raise funds. Um, and then it's a, it's a question of do you use broker or do you try and do non-broker financing? Sometimes it's easier to go without a broker, especially if it's early stage, because brokers tend to prefer something that's got more substance to it. Um, But I think the advice to anybody who wants to be entrepreneurial is make sure you have a good network and develop that network. Ask, and um, that way you'll you'll
1: hopefully be successful. Yeah. Do you think a person that is thinking that, uh, they want to be an entrepreneur do you think it's born within you do you think it's a certain skill set that you develop and learn um, or is it really just grit and determination of of seeing a vision or seeing an end goal and, and basically doing all the steps to get to that goal or combination of all it's probably a combination of all my, my planned
2: career was to go out and work in the bush for the first 10 years and then come back and work in the city Uh, But when I came back after 10 years, the the market crashed and all the analysts were being sacked in the city or laid off. Um, I also realized at quite an early stage that I didn't really want to work for anybody else. Yeah. And that I was probably unemployable because of my (laughs) temperament and mentality. And as a result of that, for self preservation, I had to be creative and entrepreneurial
1: and try and see if I could, could do something. So. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs are in that are in that sort of framework uh, frame where they believe that they are unemployable yes. for whatever reason, yes. so they have to go out and work for themselves in whatever industry um, because they know they can't go and get a job. If they do get a job, they'll probably be sacked within the period of time, <laughs> and then they can't keep moving from job to job. So exactly.
2: But I think if you're entrepreneurial. You're flexible. Um, if you're in a larger company, a large companies are great. You get formal training, and, and that's great. And you get your pension. And you get a good, good wage. and travel business class, etc. But the entrepreneurs, they can be more reactive. So if the market changes, and for instance, someone wants to look at cable, for instance, you can just jump on a plane immediately to a cable destination and start. Um, researching in the local mining department uh, the Ministry of Mines and you can move fast you don't have to go to a board you don't have to get a budget approved you know you can just get off your back and, and jump on the plane mm. and I think that's, that's great for entrepreneurs you know they can, they've got the flexibility to move quickly as the market changes and adapting
1: yeah um, what advice would you give someone that is thinking of taking a similar path to, to yourself Becoming more of an entrepreneur, being in innovative, doing, I suppose doing things differently, being uh, creating, or I suppose creating their own destiny rather than working for a big big mining company or a big corporation. Um, what advice would you give someone that is thinking along those lines and what they should do as a plan? I think first of all, uh, they should they should certainly pursue their
2: their dreams. Uh, they should develop a business plan. But I think more importantly, if they're young and, entrepreneur and entrepreneurial, I think there's a lot of value to be gained by uh, developing a network, as I say, and drawing the experiences from someone who's been there and done it before. Uh, so, for instance, I'm helping a friend of mine who's uh, about 12, 14 years younger than me. He started a new company that's got a code exploration plane and I've sort of joined to help him and it's really to guide him and make sure he doesn't make the same mistakes that I made Yeah. and I think for any young budding entrepreneur don't be shy go on something like LinkedIn try and establish connections see who those connections are and what experience they have and talk to them and try and get try and get mentors you know in different sectors of the mining industry who would advise you and help you and Nine times out of ten, will be more than happy to help you. Yeah, certainly. Um, so so do that. You'll get great advice uh, from people who are highly experienced, have been down the roots had problems, but solved them. Yeah, and
1: can ensure that you don't make the same mistakes that yeah. they did. Just another thing I just thought about. Um, for instance, the the Minds and Money conference that are coming up. If someone wants to be an entrepreneur, what a great way to uh, to attend that event, Yes. meeting very experienced people from the mining background, from the finance background, where you can make numerous connect- uh, connections there. Absolutely, um, to Absolutely. help it, help you on your journey.
2: All the mining conferences is a great place to start. Yeah. Um, I think the the issue is always intellectual property rights. Yeah. Um, if you have a great idea but you haven't put your own money in and acquired anything, you know, just be careful. Sign. Uh, confidentiality agreements or non-circumvention agreements and then put your pitch through yeah uh, but make sure you protect yourselves and your intellectual knowledge
1: yeah okay I want to move on to more about yourself and what you're what you're actively involved in doing now and over the last few years um so yeah if you could just tell us a little bit about that okay um, over
2: the last couple of years, I have just been doing a little bit of consultancy work because times haven't been great. Yeah. Um, I've been in northeast Angola on behalf of a client helping out on river diversions for illegal diamonds, uh, and that's been great fun. So, blocking off certain sections of rivers, uh, draining those sections that have been blocked off, and then pumping, the, pumping all the water out, recovering the gravels, and then running through testing and getting, getting diamonds. Um, that's that's been great. Um, I have more recently helped, as I say, started helping out this friend on the cobalt business. Yeah. And he's got the largest land position in the Idaho cobalt belt. Okay. Yeah. Um, so 52 square kilometres, and it should be very interesting to see what happens. I've also got a a company called Arabian Nubian Resources, yeah. which has or had a license for copper gold in Eritran in central Eritran. But we ran out of funds in about 2014-15 and so it's been on, on the back burner ever since. Um, we are trying to raise funds for that. Um, We're talking to various people. Uh, but we do have creditors. Um, but it's something that could have walked away from. Yeah. Uh, but I owe it to the shareholders who, who are in there plus also the creditors to ensure that we get the company refinance. And I've also promised the Aerotrans that we'll finish the job that we started. Yeah. I think that's really important. So, I, think, I, think the last I was going to say, you
1: can tell us a little bit about that actual project.
2: Yeah, it's, it's in the central part of Aerotrans. It's about 50 kilometres upstrike from Nevsun's Bishi deposit. And the licence runs north-south. The northern half of the licence is prospective for massive sulphide deposits, so copper, gold, silver, let's say... And then the southern half of the license doesn't have any of that. It's purely gold. It's orogenic, shear hosted gold deposits. Um, but it's a fascinating part of the country, to, uh, of the world, sorry, to, yeah. to work. And the Eritreans have been great uh, to work with. Um, we had problems in the past because we were early stage. Uh, it was Eritrea and, of course, there were the problems between Eritrea and Ethiopia. But more recently, as you'll see in the news, um, Eritrea and Ethiopia signed a historic peace agreement and it's gone from strength to strength. They've exchanged ambassadors. There's airlines flying between the two countries. Presidents have each visited their respective, you know, uh, presidents, uh, countries. And um, I think, you know, Eritrea will certainly be there on, on, you know, as an attractive destination
1: for mining companies yeah. that have previously avoided it yeah I mean there is obviously a few companies there at the moment or there's one I know one predominant company there um, I know there has been a few companies that have been in in there probably at more early stages like yourself yes um, what challenges have you have you faced oh, obviously apart from funding which is <laughs> yeah, probably, the main, funny, probably, probably the main funding is always the biggest <laughs> main
2: challenge yeah the main challenge um Probably just logistical delays in getting supplies in from the lines of Dubai. Yeah. Um, it hasn't been a problem finding the right people. Uh, the, the local geologists that we've employed are highly skilled and highly trained. And the department Mines have been very good. And they've rotated their own geologists from one uh, company to the next. So the geologists that you inherit have got a, a broad experience and, and really do understand you know, the mineral deposits in, in, in the country. Um, what else? I think it's just public perception on, on Eritrea. Yeah. You know, that's always been a problem when doing a, a financing roadshow. Um, people say, Eritrea, where's that? Is it just yeah. in Archer or somewhere? <laughs> no, it's, it used to be part of sort of northern Ethiopia Yeah. Uh, until independence. Um, so it's been that plus the fact that, you know, we're early stage, we haven't got a resource. As yet. Um, so that's, yeah, funding has been the biggest challenge. On the ground, we've had nothing but good support from government. Um, and also because it's a small country with all the, I wouldn't say all, but the, with a small number of foreign companies that are operating there, you all get together and it's a really friendly brew. Um, if you're flying a VTEM survey and you've run out of jet jet fuel for your helicopter, you can ring up your neighbour and if they've got some, they'll, they'll send it over. So it's a very friendly atmosphere that um, everybody yeah. tries to help each other. Because, you know, when you're far away from home, that's what you need.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You obviously mentioned funding. Um, and it's funny, I had a conversation earlier um, around, around this particular topic. Um, and even yesterday, funny enough. Um, it seems the big banks, uh, and I suppose it's the, fu- the whole funding issue at the moment, it seems to be hard to, to raise funds. It seems the big traditional banks or banks that have been involved in mining seem to to be moving away from mining, and more private equity companies being the point of contact to lend money. What's been your experience around around funding? Yes, and and how and how you see funding moving forward and how it's going to work?
2: The problem at the moment is you have other sectors that are delivering better returns. Uh, the cannabis sector in, in Canada is obviously exploding. People are making lots of money, so they don't want to get involved in anything <laughs> mining-related, or if they do, it's just a small amount. Yeah. I think here in the UK, it's, you know, when times are hard, the valuations of companies drop, and the private equity groups see value. Uh, so companies that are trading at you know, substantial discount, and so that's when they'll pile in. Um, but early stage exploration is 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 difficult unless you've got a good story and people can see a, a yeah substantial upside. Um, so it is it is difficult. I'd like to see some sort of form of crowdfunding. Yeah. Um, I have thought of trying to set that up. Um, so if anybody does is listening to me and wants to do it, there's there's already a group out in Canada that do it. Okay. But I think there's. Opportunity in the UK for crowdfunding in the resources sector, whether that's mining or you know, um,
1: petroleum or gas, that sort of thing. Well, I know they do it in the property sector, yeah, exactly. Um, Exactly. And that seems to be working very well from what I see. But probably mining may be looking at raising obviously a lot more money than what the property sector would be, yes, Um, and obviously, a lot lot larger (laughs) startup costs,
2: I think. Um, my, the problem with mining is mining is a long, long-term business. Yeah. So the banks um, have a long-term approach. Unfortunately, in the, in the current market, people only think short-term. Yeah. And as a result of that, mining pays a penalty and all the other sectors benefit. Mm-hmm. So, but that's just the nature of, of our business. Mining is long-term, it's, it's not going to happen overnight. If you pick up a license for, for gold, you're not going to find the gold overnight. And even yeah. if you do, there's, there's a timeline to do your refeasibility study and feasibility study, etc. Construction. Well. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it all takes a long time, it takes a lot of money, and mining is by nature a high risk. Yeah. Um, you have the risk
1: of country risk, yeah. you have commodity risk, and market go, go, risk. And government inter- yeah. interaction. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, um, and again, on funding, do you think it's hard to get the funding because of the commodity, the just the general um, price of commodities overall is still low? If it was, say, three, four years into the cycle where commodities are increasing gradually, do you think the whole market would be, would be definitely different? Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. Yes,
2: absolutely. Um, it just needs the commodity price to go up. Um, and then people, you know, investors, and fund managers will start putting money back into the mining
1: yeah. sector. Yeah, and I suppose also confidence in the market as well. Exactly. And I think people... Brexit doesn't help. doesn't help, At but I don't know how much of an impact it would have. Maybe with certain countries it may do, but I suppose on the world stage, it's not... Well, from my perspective, I and mean, I'm only a recruiter, mm-hmm. but I just think it's not going to be a big major factor for the mining industry as a whole, because no, it, so it can affect country uh, companies' operations in, in Europe. Yes, yes. Sure. Look, I, I
2: find is a very tricky one. It all depends on whether you're public or private. Yeah. Depends who you go to see. Uh, I went to see an investor this morning, and I talked about various projects. And actually, I think you have to turn it around and go go to these investors and say, "Well, right, you like mining. What do you want to invest in?" On that basis, then go and source a project that they will invest in. Otherwise, you end up going into an investor's room doing a presentation, and they go, "Mm, "Yeah, that's a really nice, nice project, but um, not really too keen on copper gold at the moment." Have you got anything in um, niobium? And then you know, you know, you get the same sort of. Response when yeah. you go to the next investor, yes. Yeah. But, um,
1: have you know, got something in coal or
2: you know, it just
1: yeah, but so like we were speaking just before before we uh before we start recording this podcast, um, some of those commodities like copper that have been around for, for donkey years, um, it's a safe bet because the, the, there is the demand there, unlike, I suppose, copper, uh, sorry, unlike cobalt, lithium. And other commodities probably similar to that, where it is a, a very new market, mm-hmm. and with a new market, there's always high risk. There is, yes.
2: Uh, I mean, I, I like copper, obviously, because of what we're doing in Eritrea. But the, the new sort of battery metals are interesting. I mean, cobalt is, 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 is fascinating. I recently met up with a trader who's been in the cobalt trading business for the last 20 years, and he has a different audience. He he talks to the actually the battery manufacturers in Southeast yeah. Asia. He talks to the car manufacturers like BMW, Mercedes so Benz, Volkswagen in Germany about sourcing um, ethical metal suppliers, whether that's cobalt or anything else. And it's interesting on the on the cobalt and, and battery front that the battery manufacturers can't manufacture batteries fast enough. For the demand that's out there yeah. as we saw with you know the problems that Tesla had uh, getting their production up but by the same token the battery manufacturers are finding it hard to source enough material to build their batteries so there's a big whole supply chain issue so there's a huge supply chain issue and I, I don't think people a lot of people look at the standard mining and exploration magazines and but they what they don't really understand is is the other side, yeah. the buy side. And so I found my sort of hours ch- chat with this trader fascinating mm. because he gave a completely different uh, vision of what the supply demand status is like and what it's going to be like in the future. Um, yeah. And it's quite frightening.
1: Yeah. So what's what's in future? Uh, what's what's the future for, for yourself and um, are you looking, looking to achieve anything um, or what would you like to happen? Uh, what am I, well, at the moment, I'm
2: trying to get my aerotrain company refunded. Yeah. So that's one thing. I'm helping my friend on the, with the cobalt business with his company. Um, I um, set up a new company called Charge Metals, which may look to acquire nickel, copper, cobalt projects in Scandinavia. Uh, I've also set up a website recently for graduates to try and get graduates yeah. into mining. Uh, my, I have a hang-up about the fact that universities pump out all these students, but once the students have graduated, yeah. there's very little support. Um, and I think it's maybe something we can talk about yes, together certainly. in the future because um, of your recruitment business. Uh, so I do that, and then I also have a what I call a Mickey Mouse YouTube channel where... I was going to come up <laughs> to that soon <laughs> I, I just, right, as we're on the subject. I post silly videos of, of the mining sector. Look, I, 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 I watch Quest TV and I've seen sort of the uh, gold miners in Alaska and uh, doing their work and sometimes thinking, oh my God, why, why have they done that? And I also thought I could probably do something similar so I said, I think
1: there's a new one Aussie Gold Hunters Aussie Gold Hunters yeah yeah, that's great going around with metal detectors that's it and what's the uh, um, Canadian one Alaska Alaska Gold or I can't remember Canadian Canadian miners out yeah in Alaska yeah there was was there was was one program where these
2: two guys who had no mining or geology experience went out to Ghana and got massively ripped off (laughs) and it was just hilarious watching but um now I set up something called the Bush Geologist, and it really is um, set up to try and show people who are not in our industry what it's like working in the, in the mining and exploration sector. Yeah. So I've, I've done a little one of life in camp in Angola, um, life sort of dredging or uh, the diamonds there. And I've recently picked up a, a drone Okay. which I think is a great exploration tool. Yeah, it certainly um, is. So I'm going to take that with me on every visit and hopefully do some further videos. But just on the drone drone side, it is fascinating because um, it's great for corporate presentations. Yeah. Uh, it's great to fly to areas where you can't necessarily access because of the way the terrain is. Yeah, I was so just, say it's cheaper than a helicopter. It's cheaper than a helicopter, but, but you get great pictures because yeah. of the resolution and you know drones are changing it's it's. we're talking to someone about a drone mounted mag survey okay. in Idaho yeah um, and I think you know it's, it's they're going to be an increasingly important role in, in mining yeah. not just metals mining but obviously uh, aggregates and everything else
1: yeah I was going to uh, one question from Rocky from from speaking what's What's the, I don't I don't actually recruit for America, and I just wondered. Uh, obviously, I know they've got they basically got quite a few skills in country. What's the main differences, say, between mining in America compared to other countries that you've that Was you it worked in? Or? Uh, yeah, but the way that, I suppose the way they do mining is it any different, and the and the culture around the mining companies. Because people outside of, I suppose, people outside of mining yes. wouldn't necessarily think Americans mine. They probably automatically think of Australia, Australia, South um, Africa, underground so, yeah. mines, etc. Yeah, but America is what? Do they do anything different? Oh, well,
2: I mean, Americans got a massive mining industry. Yep. Um, there's a lot of um, private private miners, so prospectors, operators. I'm fairly new to America. We, we had to recruit people for our exploration program in Idaho, but we went to the university. So, okay. um, because we're in Idaho, we went to the university at, the, at a place called Moscow Campus, of all places, okay. in Idaho. <laughs> and we recruited uh, student geologists to, to help us. Uh, they're very well qualified and experienced. You've got some great um, mining schools. Like Colorado's for Colorado School of Mines. Yeah. Um so yeah, the mining culture is there, but I, I don't think it probably gets as much visibility as no. other parts of the world, like Africa and
1: Australia, as you say. Yeah. Um I suppose slowly wrapping up, um last question. If you had to start all over again, would you have taken a different path or would you have done anything differently? My
2: dad always said I should have been an accountant. I probably agree with him. <laughs> I would have had a stable job, a stable income coming in. Um, it's it's a tough one. I mean, it's, when times are hard in the mining sector, it, it is hard. Yeah. You know, when times are hard, there's the, there's the old joke of um, a successful geologist is one who's got a wife who's got a, a job. So there's yeah. there's income coming in, whereas he's not bringing. Any income.
1: It's funny you should say that. In Australia, they um, they notice a lot more taxi drivers, and generally yes. they're they the geologists. So when there's an increase in uh, taxi drivers, that means the mining industry's down. Yeah, exactly.
2: Uh, I also went to a uh, a career fair once, and I walked towards. Uh, this wasn't in the in the mining sector. It might have been I think, oil and gas, or it might have been pharmaceuticals. But I walked along to this booth, and this lady stopped me before I got anywhere near her and she said you're not a geologist are you I said, yes, yes I am actually
1: so we've had about 10 come through thank you very much I don't need any more it's the wrong sector as well yeah. and it's funny like even now obviously we're we've gone through a recession yes I think we're coming out of a recession agree um, and I think what you would probably normally see is um, more activity in the exploration geology Discipline. I yeah. don't see that.
2: What's your no, I think you I, I, I agree. I think we're, we're coming through, but um, it's going to take a long time to filter down to the early stage exploration yeah. uh, sector. Um, so, I mean, some of the bigger companies are looking at acquisitions, but you know, in the long term, if there haven't been, if there hasn't been an exploration. There aren't any new discoveries, and if there aren't any new discoveries, how are you going to replenish? resources or reserves that have been depleted yeah. at, at mines, You have to invest in exploration. But at the same time, investors have to have a return. And if they're getting better returns in the pharmaceutical sector or, you know, real estate sector, you can't blame them for not putting money in.
1: Yeah. Based, um, I mean, based on that, do you think the recession is going to last longer because there is inactivity in, yeah, in exploration? I don't know. I hope not. Um, for God, everybody's everybody. sake, um,
2: <laughs> I would hope that things would pick up and things do start filtering down to expiration. I mean, just from my own experience, speaking to potential investors over the last few months, uh, there is interest, uh, but it, it is specific. So, for instance, um, like I said earlier, we go and see someone they they want. To invest in a particular part, you know, whether it's nickel or cobalt or copper or whatever, and but you have to find that investor. Yeah, uh, you yeah. have to know what they want, and um, that would make life a little bit easier. But it is tough out there, and but things are, I think, are improving, and I think the sentiment is more optimistic. Yeah, yeah, uh, certainly. You know, I'm, I'm quietly yeah. optimistic for the
1: future. Yeah yeah I, I, I agree with you there as well and fingers crossed things start to uh, start to slowly pick up absolutely right come to the end uh, okay. just want to for, for the last five minutes or so just uh, fire a, a few quick fire questions to you yes. I ask uh, every uh, interviewee <laughs> what do you enjoy about mining I like travelling yeah.
2: I like going out in the bush and visiting different parts of the world um I never wanted a job that was purely office-based. Um, I'm uh, an explorer, so I'm a bit of a romantic, I, yeah. I love the idea of discoveries. Uh, not many geologists are lucky enough to make discoveries, but it's the it's the thing that attracts
1: me. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a great sector, great business to be in. Yeah, and I agree. I'll agree agree with you there as well I mean I've got 18 years recruitment experience and half that in, in mining and I certainly want to continue Definitely. working in that sector and I, I don't really want to recruit in any other yeah. sector
2: I don't um, want to retrain and do something else no. I should do <laughs> you can, okay, always, you can always
1: add skills yes. to already to what you have exactly uh, obviously still within the mining industry yeah. um, who's been the most influential person on you in your mining career or maybe? A few people that have been influential on you.
2: Um, I guess one of my first employers uh, that I worked for—I won't mention any names. uh, Working with them, I realised how not to run a business. Yeah. So that was useful. Um, So they sort of certainly is (laughs) an (laughs) entrepreneur. Um, I guess it's the large discoveries. do a bit of consulting work for a gentleman who was involved in the company that made a massive discovery in Newfoundland many years ago. Um, They started off with a small company with a very small market cap, and they eventually sold that company for $4.2 to a major. Um, So you dream of making that discovery. You dream of going out in the field and maybe stumbling down a slope and banging your head against a rock and... Cracking it open rather than your head and yeah. finding, oh my god, that's a fresh bit of sulfide and yeah. look, look at that! all there's visible gold. Yeah, um, and and having that eureka moment when you you make a discovery. Yeah, it's it's romantic and probably wrong, but it's it's what yeah. drives you forward. And, and I think that's every geologist. Absolutely, sort of what is Yeah. Yes, to have a discovery yeah. or two under their belt.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, is there anything else that you still want to achieve?
2: Uh, success. I, I, uh, I just want to suppose finish. the discovery. I the discovery. Yes, yeah. I want to finish the job in trail that we started. Um, I, because I am getting older now, I am fifty two. I would like to help those who are starting off in the industry. So I am very happy to help out the graduates who come out of the universities and looking at maybe being, as say, an entrepreneur and starting out their own business and. Being there to as a guiding hand and just making sure they don't make the same mistakes that I did. I'm not saying that what I the advice that I give them is correct, but it's something that they can then mull over and make their own decision.
1: Yeah, and make not um, I suppose make not as many as many as mistakes. mistakes. Yeah, and I think the other thing I, I want to do is to
2: network more. I think in this business you have to network. It's it's everything. The more contacts you have, the better uh, the better chance of success. Yeah. Um, where do you see the
1: future of mining?
2: Uh, people say it's it's uh, asteroid mining. Yeah, <laughs> I think I'll be dead. Space mining, yeah, space yeah. mining. I think I'll be dead by then. So. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I quite fancy doing something a bit close to home. Yeah, I've done quite a few. You mean in the UK? In the UK or Europe, uh, Europe, Ireland. Uh, I think I would always I've always fancied going to Ireland and doing some exploration work and lead zinc belt there it's fascinating. Um, Scotland seems to be interesting. Um, okay. with all the gold deposits that seem, seem to be cropping up there. Plus my son's at university, so I could yeah. combine and, and do you know, a trip and do visit, visit him and, and also do
1: a bit of perspective at the same time. Yeah. Um, and lastly, any advice that you'll give any mining professionals in the industry in order to sort of further develop or better themselves? And that can be at any stage of their, think, their career. I
2: think don't be afraid to ask. You know, if you run up against any problems, ask around. There's always someone who's experienced the same thing as you. And that comes down to networking. Just develop your network as, as much as you can. Uh, but don't be don't be afraid to ask. Uh, there are people that have been there and, and resolved issues, some minor issues sometimes, yeah. you know, major issues, yeah.
1: Well, that's uh, that's the end of the podcast. I I really appreciate your time, Lester. My pleasure. Obviously, uh, providing us uh, great information and discussing your journey, especially from an entrepreneur's mindset. Um, And I wish you every success in the future. Uh, If our audience wants to find out um, some more information from you or may have any questions, how can they go about contacting you? Uh, No problem. I'd be more than
2: happy to be contacted. My email address is Kemp. P-E-N-P or one word at me M-E dot com
1: okay and are uh, you on any social media platforms you can have a look at the Bush Geologist
2: YouTube channel or you can go on to LinkedIn uh, LinkedIn yeah. I think LinkedIn is, is, is brilliant for that yeah. so you'll get all my contact details there
1: yeah um,
2: don't be afraid to approach reach out yeah, yeah definitely and
1: obviously alternatively you can contact myself Uh, via email, which is rob at mining-international.org. Well, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy the podcast. And until next time,
0: happy mining. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org. Or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining.